And last week we looked at 1 John chapter 1, and we focused in on that couple of words where it said about God being light, that he reveals, that he restores, and he radiates. And we also said a little bit about uh, my love of fairy lights, which so many people have got in touch with me about, but anyway, we'll gloss over that. Uh, so you can listen online to those talks uh, and our previous series. Uh, they're all up online. We'd love you to do that to catch up uh, and to hear those. So there's a bit of continuous themes uh, developing in these chapters of God's light and also God's love as we look in this book. And just to recap and give another bit, a, bit, a quick run-through of the background, it's believed to be uh, John that is writing these letters. He's writing from a place called Ephesus to the churches in Asia Minor. And it's end of the first century, roughly, is what uh, they, they kind of time it at. And John wants to remind these people who they are in Christ. He wants to remind them who they are, what, what that means, but also what should change in light of that, what, uh, how they should be living. Uh, so this morning we are on 1 John 2, and we're going to be reading from verse 1 to 8. So in these Bibles that were given out, it's in page 1225. 1225. Why don't we pray before uh, we read God's Word? Lord, we thank you. Thank you you are here in our midst, that you are, are meeting with us. Will you continue, Lord, as we look through your word? Will you reveal afresh your love for us, Lord? Thank you, Lord, that nothing can stop us coming before you, Lord. You meet us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So starting from verse 1, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing to you, writing you a new command but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Amen. Is anybody roasting in here today? Yeah. No, one person isn't. I'm just going to have a quick drink. It is so warm. The short sleeve, short -sleeve shirts will have to remain. Uh, if I was to ask out this morning, have any of us ever had a bad hair day? Any of us ever had a day where the hair is just, a couple of people are going, yes, I hear you, I hear you. Uh, Mary will say that to me sometimes. She says, oh, love, I'm, she's not here, so I can say whatever I want as well. She's not giving me the glaring look. She says, oh, love, I'm having a really bad hair day. And I'm like, oh, I don't notice any difference. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, you look exactly the same as you do any other day. Uh, last week, we had family over, which is brilliant. Uh, we had 
Maddie's brothers and uh, their wives and, and the children, and it was absolute chaos. But I, I was at, they were all at church last Sunday, which was great. It was amazing seeing them sitting there. And I thought, I'm looking quite sharp today. I've got my nice shirt on, my favorite shirt on. And the day was going well until my brother-in-law says, oh, Thomas, I see a few greys there just on the side here, and I was like, oh. So just as sharply I went, and I see you receding as well, and then it didn't go down too well, and we kind of avoided each other the rest of the afternoon. Uh, some of us might think, you know, how, or think, how am I looking today? Am I looking sharp, or it's a miracle I'm here, perhaps? I think for me, I admit defeat regularly on this. Uh, with two little toddlers, one word comes into play, and it's survival. It's survival. Uh, is it acceptable the way I'm looking today? Can I get by my day-to-day the way that I'm looking? And I'm like, great, let's face the day. Bags under the eyes, Rice Krispies stuck to my shoulder, food bits. I mean, there is regular occurrence when I'm leading meetings or I have a microphone and I realize, you know, it's true and slevered over my shoulder an hour earlier, but never mind. Do you ever get, also, do you ever get people who tell you how you're looking? They say, oh, you look awful tired. You look shattered today. And you wake up that morning, you think, yes, I'm looking great. I'm going to, this is a better day. And you feel absolutely gutted. It's just the worst, isn't it? All that energy and positivity just drains out of you at that moment. I want to ask us this morning, how do we look to people? What do people see when they see us? How are we looking? What are we giving out? What are they taking away after meeting us? After a quick chat? after introduction, after family gatherings, after staff meetings, after football games, a bit guilty there, lunch times, at the connect time that we have, at the coffee queue at church, at Costa, the bank, dog walks. What do people see? And of course, what I'm getting at, and the whole basis uh, of this talk this morning is, do people see Jesus? Do people see Jesus? Do people see this light and love that John is at pains to remind the believers in this letter? We are a church that not only exists for this little gathering here, but more importantly for the tens and thousands of people who don't know Jesus yet in Inverness and the surrounding area. How we look and live to others is so important in our mission. And in this passage, it's really verse 3 to 6 that I want to focus in on. And uh, the message verse, and I love looking at the message verse sometimes. I really encourage you, have a look at other uh, Bible translations as well. And God might just speak that little sentence a bit more clearer uh, or or bring a bit more clarity to it. In verse 3 to 6 of the message version, it says this. If someone claims I know him well, but doesn't keep his commandments, he's obviously a liar. His life doesn't match his words. But the one who keeps God's word is the person in whom we see God's mature love. This is the only way to be sure we're in God. Anyone who claims to be intimate with God ought to live the same kind of life that Jesus did. So if we are talking about Jesus' followers, if we're talking about living the same kind of life that Jesus did, Our mission and our mandate has to be that. And I don't mean by that that we grow some beards, we gather 12 friends and we we go and, and face the world. But obedience to God and loving service to people. That our lives are to match our words. We can see 
God's love that is visible, that is alive, that is shining, that is oozing from us. John wants the recipients of this letter to remember there has got to be something different to us. We see that in verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is in, not in that person. Words need to be matched by our actions. Something has got to be different. Jesus loves us the way we are, but it's not his intention to leave us like that. We aren't to live knowing of him. We're to live knowing him. And it's not all about commands and power. Uh, that's the wrong way to look at it. When I was looking at the commentator's take on this passage, uh, one of them had a, a really good analogy which resonates with me right now. Uh, when Struin, our little boy who's nearly two, when he throws food on the floor and I tell him not to do it, at that time I'm giving him a command. I'm saying, you know, don't do that. And I want that to be obeyed. But in the end, I don't want him dropping food on the floor because I say so. But because he recognizes the mess it creates. He recognizes what happens when he does that. What changes. So when, he calls us to, when God calls us to love him and to love others, to be a light and not to walk in the darkness, we begin to realize what changes when we walk when we walk in the light, what actually happens when we obey what God has called us to do, what he does in us and how he uses us in our obedience. And that's been a, a lot of change in that area to, to love people, to love God. And God has really shaped my heart in terms of that as well. I think in one thing, as I was thinking, what has God changed or what has God done in me? It would be crying. It would be crying. My heart is absolutely softened when it comes to crying. And uh, it used to be a bit non-existent. And I believe, actually, when I was preparing this, this is a word for some of the men here uh, this evening. This evening? Why am I saying this evening? It's felt like a long day. I was up since five with the boys this morning. You know, love is tough for some of us. I grew up in a place just outside Glasgow called the Vale of Leaven. And it was, it's quite, it was quite a tough place to grow up as a kid. School was, was not great. It was survival. It was school survival. Get through the six years and get to uni after high school. And in that time, I never, never cried. And that's a teenage thing as well as we suss out who we are. But now I see a little bit in a film that isn't even emotional. And I'm like, <laughs> and Mary looks over at me and going, what's going on? That, that bit isn't even significantly emotional or anything. And I'm like, but it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. But I believe, I think the first couple of times, like, what on earth is going on here? What, why am I? Why is God? It's God. God's stirring something. God's changing something. And I believe in that moment that God has given me a heart for his people. Don't even get me started on things like DIY SOS. I've seen this week they're having a DIY SOS uh, special for the victims of the Grenfell disaster. Like, that's just going to be an absolute incredible watch, isn't it? And a real moving watch. But I believe in those moments God has given me a heart for his people. To love others. To see maybe what no one else does in that moment. And that's being Jesus. Jesus always seen what others didn't. So how are we looking this morning? Where are we living from? What do people see when they meet us? I want to look at three living conditions uh, very briefly this morning that we can find ourselves in. And the first thing is living undercover. Does anybody remember magic eye books? Does anybody remember them? No. 
You know, yes, a couple of people do. You know when it's like, I was going to have an example, when it just seems like it's all colors and, and you look more closer at it and you can see a picture appearing and it doesn't, it's all scrambled and everything. Uh, I was always afraid of those books because I felt as I stared into it, I'd be hypnotized or something and it'd, uh, something would happen. I was always a bit wary. But I have memories of my mum with these magic eye books because I'd always get a magic eye book at Christmas time. I would always get one when, my early, when I was younger at Christmas time. And my mum would say, she would declare to everyone, you have to start with the book as close as you can to your face. So she would sit in the living room with a book, like, and she says, it's better if it touches your nose. So she would be like this for a good 10, 15 minutes. And then she would stay like that. And then we'd all get a fright because she'd start moving it back. And then she'd start saying very slowly, oh, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. And then she'd go, no, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't. And then it would go right back to her face. And that would be her for an hour, 10, 15 minutes. I'm seeing it, I'm seeing it, I'm seeing it. Oh, it's becoming clear. Oh, no, it's, you put me off. Why did you speak? Just a couple of things on uh, the magic eye books, which I, I, has reminded me when I'm thinking of living undercover. With magic eye books, some people struggle to see the picture initially. You have to look hard. Some people don't see it at all. Some people have to squint. They have the book up close. I can kind of see it. It's still hidden. Some people think, oh, I've got it. Oh, no, back to the beginning again. Secondly, you can be looking for a long time. It can take ages to see the picture. We would always have that one page that would always, if we had it at Christmas, it would take until July to find out what the picture is. Or you would go to the answers. And you go, how can that match up to that? And then thirdly, it's not obvious. It's not obvious at first glance that there's anything at all to see. You just see colors. You just see a scrambled kind of mess. You'd flick through the book and think, what a waste of $7.99. I could have got some Christmas socks and some chocolate. Why did you get me this? I wonder if for any of us here this morning, we've been living undercover. And God is ushering us into a season of public faith-filled living, that people see us and they don't need to look for a long time, that people see us and it's blatantly obvious there's something different, that it's time to step out into the environments that God is calling us into and has placed us in, that people wouldn't fail to see the love that we carry, that there is an instant shift in the spiritual dynamic of a place when we step in to a room, when we join a conversation, that it's obvious that we are a carrier of God's kingdom, that stuff happens when we are around, that people open up, that we get opportunities to pray for people, that we get opportunities to see healing, and that for too long we've lived undercover. A bit like magic eye books. It's difficult to see God through us. And as I was thinking and praying through that, I believe that fear can be the main driver for most of us. We've maybe got a reputation to hold on to. Maybe lies have gripped our heart. I want to say this morning that today is a new day. It's a new day. Second Timothy 1 verse 7 says, For God has not given us a fear a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. He's given us a spirit of power and a spirit of love. 
not a spirit of fear. So, perhaps some of us are living undercover, or we can resonate that we're, we're through a season just now of living undercover. Secondly, perhaps some of us are living for the weekend. Uh, when I left uni, I was applying for all sorts of different jobs. I went to Stirling Uni, I studied business studies, and I wanted to get into retail management. So I applied to Morrison's, I used to stack shelves in Safeway. So I applied to a graduate scheme there. I applied to Marks and Spencer's, very fancy. It looked like a good package, went across to Belfast. And I ended up, I wasn't getting any jobs. Just refusal after refusal after refusal. And then I thought, I'd met Mary at this point, and she was going to Aberdeen to study nursing. And I thought, I bet I'm going to follow her to Aberdeen. Let's look for jobs in Aberdeen. I kind of like her. Let's see what's going to happen. And uh, Mary was actually really vital in me finally moving to Aberdeen. So I applied for more jobs in Aberdeen, and I wasn't getting them at all. And I just couldn't get a job. I'd go through the telephone interviews, and I, th I think I'd do really well. And there was one conversation I had with Mary, and we recapped on one of the telephone interviews I was giving. And I said, yeah. I felt it went really well. And then they asked for some basic details and they asked for my email address. And she realized at that point what my email address was. So it'd get to the point, I'd, I'd give a really professional interview and then they'd go, and Mr. Urquhart, what is your email address? And I go, aye, aye, email address, livingfortheweekend at hotmail.com. <laughs> they're like, excuse me, livingfortheweekend. Ah, the four is actually a number four, livingfortheweekend at hotmail.com. And... Uh, Mary says, really, you're putting that as your email address? So get a new email address. And no word of a lie, I changed my email address to turker84 at hotmail.co.uk and I got the very next job I applied for. So that's what I'm putting it down to. And actually, in the small conversation, that's why we've ended up in Aberdeen. That's why we ended up in Aberdeen. That's why we got married and that's why we're here today. All because of an email address. Isn't God good? <laughs> I was thinking of this point. I was thinking what to call it, living for the weekend. Uh, in terms of this point, I was thinking of like 2.4 children, the normal fitting in kind of life, head down. And the danger of that kind of life is that we pick and choose where Jesus goes. We pick and choose where he goes. We sail along. We see so many of us living for the weekend, fitting in weeks and weeks and weeks and years and years and years and missing out what God really wants to stir and use in the right now. We almost compartmentalize our weeks. This is the part for work. This is our little family time here. It's a bit like a meal planner. You know when you have meal planners and you have all your boxes. We kind of do that with our weeks. This is the church stuff. This is the Jesus stuff. Our living like Jesus time slots where exactly we want it. And I've been there. I still have to watch. And the key thing over all that is that we miss out. We miss out. We don't want Jesus just living in part. If we look at the disciples in the New Testament, John himself included, risked it all, for, gave up everything for Jesus, laid it down, surrendered, to the point that we read in Acts 15, 26. It says, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. John Wimber, uh, who was one of the founding members of the Vineyard Movement, the church, uh, the, the movement that we are part of as Inverness Vineyard Church, uh, he said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And I absolutely love that. Maybe some of us this morning, 
feel like we're stuck in a bit of a rut. That is, remember the film Groundhog Day? It's just the sa- it just feels a bit like a, the same old. We're going through the motions. It's become a bit dry. We're thinking, what, what am I doing here? Why am I in the job that I'm in? Why am I living where I'm living? And God just wants to whisper and to, let, to remind us we're exactly where we're meant to be. And to look out for moments where we can go, that's why. That's why I'm placed in this workplace. That's why I'm at this school. That's why I'm having this conversation. So maybe some of us, life is just feeling a wee bit too normal. And we feel that we're not living like Jesus did. We're not living from His commands to go and love others. We would so love to pray with you this morning, to trust in the unseen, to take a few risks. Commentators in in looking at this passage say, there's a couple of lines they say, which is absolutely brilliant. They say, obedience to God's commands should be more than an interesting addendum or occasional accompaniment, accompaniment to our lives. Obeying God's commands points to the shape of the Christian life as a whole, to the consistency of our discipleship, and not to individual acts taken in isolation. So it's not a checklist or memorizing how uh, to obey God's commands or to make sure that we have done them, but a wholehearted response, a shift to loving behavior. And an all-in cry of, here I am, Lord, fully surrendered. Use every single part of me. Have it all. A couple of weeks ago, I was at McDonald's, which isn't a rare occurrence for me. It's quite a regular occurrence. And it was a Monday night, which isn't great. A McDonald's on a Monday isn't great, is it? And, uh, but it's kind of my safe place, I've identified. <laughs> so I go in the drive-thru, and the guy at the till... And you know the way you just don't want to chat? You're just like, I just want to get what I want and get out of there. And the guy at the till was just the chattiest, most lively guy in the world. And I was like, oh, and he's like, all right, mate, how you doing? And it completely took me by surprise. I was like, all I want is a Big Mac. I don't want to tell you how I'm doing. And uh, I said, oh, I'm good, man. I'm good. How are you? And uh, it was one of, I just want to say, often in these moments, and I've chatted to a few of you, around this. Often in these moments, God wants to bring revival in others through our reluctance. Often when we have moments where we're like, oh, really? God really wants to do something by His power. And His reply, when I asked Him, how are you, has been absolutely haunting me since. It's been really stirring in my heart. This is exactly what He said. He said, ah, you know what it's like, mate. Happy on the outside, sad on the inside. And it's like, at that point, I completely lost my appetite. The Big Mac didn't matter. Everything within me ached with that reply. And I drove home, and I, got, I managed to get his name, and I prayed for that guy on the drive home. And I was regretting, because I can be so quick-witted with little jokes and little comments. But I was just praying, Lord, will you make me as quick-witted when it comes to sharing you? because I missed an opportunity in that moment. And I said to myself, when I see that guy again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chat to him. I'm going to chat to him. And I got home and I spoke to Mary, and we prayed for him in our living room. And I promised next time things will be different. Lord, will you stir in my heart to, to be instant in my reply to those, to those openings, 
to next time to share that there is hope. Folks, people are hurting in our city. This was a glimpse of how people are hurting. Beneath the surface, there is pain and there is hurt. There is hopelessness and there is sadness. And I want to ask us again today, this morning, how are we looking? What do people see? If we believe and trust in Jesus, if we are living for Him, we must look different. There's got to be a difference in how we go about our daily lives. There's got to be a glow. There's got to be a point when we have those McDonald moments that people can see something of the hope of Jesus in us, that we have faith, that we're not afraid to look silly, and we see God move in that. So living for the weekend. And then finally, we have living in the light. As small groups, we haven't mentioned small groups much, but we are are passionate about small groups in our church. As we begin this journey and this adventure, uh, we have three groups that meet throughout the week. And can I urge you, if you are not part of a group and you've been coming for a number of weeks, just get involved. Get involved. They are, they are special, precious times of doing life with people through the ups and downs. Often think of it as like Formula One. It's like the pit stop in our week. It's the pit stop in our week where we can say, what's a bit faulty? What, what are we struggling with? What's been going well in the race? And we gather around, just like the pit men would go around a Formula One car, we do that and we bring it to God. If you're not part of a group, uh, you can speak to either the guys in the welcome team, myself or Mary, uh, guys that you know and love that are parts of, part of groups. But in our, our small groups from now until Christmas, we'll be reading a book called Living uh, Supernatural, I think it's called Living Naturally Supernatural Lives. It's around uh, doing that without looking weird, to act as Jesus did. And uh, we're going to be reading chapter by chapter in our small groups and unpacking that and and seeing what God wants to stir in our Monday to Saturday when we gather again on a Sunday that we have heaps of stories uh, to share. But there's just a little instance I want to, a little story I want to share with you from the book. And it's just the opening, it's the opening uh, couple of paragraphs. And it's a guy called Mike Pilavacci who wrote it. And Mike Pilavacci runs a youth festival called Soul Survivor and a church as well in Watford called Soul Survivor, and does just such a a faith-filled man. And this is what he said. Over the years, I have had many airport disasters. Once I arrived at Stansted Airport to go to Berlin, only to discover I'd forgotten my passport. I tried checking in with my driver's license, but they wouldn't accept it. I phoned the Soul Survivor office, and my friend Ali rushed to my house, got the passport, and drove to the airport. Unfortunately, Ali arrived just as the plane was leaving. I was so angry with myself and we were walking dejectedly to the car. I noticed a man standing on his own with his suitcase beside him. A little thought flashed through my mind. That man needs encouragement. Go and pray for him. I generally dismissed those thoughts, but this time I made a big mistake. I mentioned it to my friend, Ali. To my annoyance, she got excited. This has never happened before, she said. It's like one of those Christian books. Let's go and pray for him. I tried to assure her that it was just my little thought and said, I'm fed up. All I want to do is go home. I've missed my flight. She was too excited to listen. But what if it's from God? She said. In the end, I realized I was going to disappoint her if I didn't make an effort. So I said, okay, let's walk past and see if God says anything else. We walked past nothing. We walked past a second time. Still nothing. We walked past the man seven times. In the end, more out of desperation than anything else, I went up to him and said, excuse me, sir, we're not weird. He didn't look convinced. 
But we think Jesus told us that you need encouragement. And we wondered if we could pray for you. He looked at us in astonishment and said, I've just arrived in this country to pastor a church in Essex. I've been waiting for two of the elders of the church to collect me, but they're late. I've been standing here thinking, what on earth have I done? Why am I here? And I just prayed a little while ago, God, I would love it if you'd give me some encouragement before they arrived to collect me. I was more amazed than the pastor was. Are you serious? I asked. So we prayed for him and went in our way rejoicing. As we drove home talking excitedly about what God had done, I couldn't help but think of all the times I've had little thoughts like that and dismissed them. How many times I hadn't taken the risk. How many times I'd thought, it's just me. That felt a little bit like BBC, CBB story time there. <laughs> just in a fleeting moment, <laughs> so like story time. Let's be a church that take the risks. I don't want to be reading from books about stories. Wouldn't it be great if we, cre if we create a space every Sunday and the space gets bigger where people are just lining up to share little stories like that. A little thought dropped into my head. So I went and shared and that just changed their life. God was in that moment. Wouldn't it be great? Let's do what we are supposed to. That little thought, that moment where the palms get a little bit sweaty and the heart starts racing and we know God has given us a word for somebody else. And you know what? This space is a great training ground for that. Because if we can't do it here as a church family, what chance have we got out in the world with people who don't know Jesus? So we would love this to be an environment where we're stirring that, where we're not afraid of getting it wrong, we're not afraid when that little thought comes into our mind, coming up to whoever's leading the service and saying, I felt God's shared a little picture. Let me share it with you. Yeah, come on, let's give, it, let's give it a shot. Let's see if that is for someone. Let's get excited. Let's stir it. Because I, I say time and time again, whenever God gives me a word, I'm not, I'm not bothered about being wrong. I'm not bothered about saying something. But I am full of faith that just one time, maybe just that one time, it's a word for somebody that can completely shape their life and that God can speak into. So wherever God has placed us, whatever he, whatever is planned and unplanned to ask him, God, what is your plan in this? What is your purpose? Who have you placed before me? What have I to say? How do I love? And we'll make mistakes along the way. John makes very clear that we have a helper. God sent his son, Jesus, to cleanse us. His cross clears the way for us to continue in freedom, to continue on the mission, to love Inverness. So what do people see? And as we go out and love, as we go out and do what God has commanded us, there will be battles. There is an enemy who likes to prowl, who likes to get in in front, who likes to put us off course. And we need to look out for each other. Further on in that passage, in 1 John 9-11, to it speaks a little bit about brothers and sisters in the church loving each other and looking out for each other. Hebrew, just to finish, Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders 
and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. We might be in a tangle today. That's okay. God will untangle. We might be undercover. God might be whispering, it's time to go public. We might be one foot in, going with the crowd, and God's saying, it's time to fully step out. What do people see? Let them see a light. Let them see a light. Let them see his love. Let's stand.